We are glad you found our little corner of the podcast universe. To our subscribers, guests, visitors, and those with a burning desire for an answer to the question, okay, now what? We welcome you to the From Learning to Earning podcast sponsored by OK Now What. This podcast covers topics of interest to anyone starting a business, but is especially focused on the unique concerns of teachers looking to make the move to entrepreneurship. My name is David Zahn, and while I may not have all the answers, I can at least help you answer, okay, now what? Hello, and welcome to this podcast. This podcast will offer you insight into something that many of us are at the same time intimately familiar with, and yet may feel not quite competent enough to be considered an expert. As professionals having devoted our academic and professional preparation to helping students learn in a school setting, it may surprise you what is similar and what is different about the expectations business professionals have for providing opportunities to their employees to learn and develop new skills. It is a natural transition for many educators to pursue a career using many of the competencies they have sharpened over the years and apply them in a corporate setting. For some, however, it is a scary proposition. They wonder if business and for-profit organizations will recognize and accept a teacher as someone worth hiring, developing, and even promoting. Today's guest will share insights on the possibilities for teachers to excel in the role of corporate trainers and apply their skills productively in the very different environment of business, corporate expectations, and for-profit metrics. I am pleased to welcome Asfa Malik to the podcast, and I'm eager to hear more about this topic, commonly called learning and development or training. Asfa is someone with a varied professional background that has included roles in sales, market research, human resources, and strategy, among other roles, and has personally hired and mentored many trainers, both classically trained in instructional design and those with expertise in content areas with an interest in learning how to perform in the role of a trainer. Asfa, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, David for having me here today. So Asfa, let's get to it immediately now. Many teachers may feel they are unprepared or out of place transitioning from the classroom to the corporate world of learning and development training or human resources. Can you share your own journey to leading those functions? Sure. You know, um, I, like many other L&D leaders, have we landed in L&D kind of by accident. Uh, so I didn't start off my career saying I want to move into learning and development. Although uh, when I graduated with a marketing and market research degree, I thought I want to be a kindergarten teacher. And uh, when I found out how much more education I needed, I said, you know what, let me go into corporate for a little while. And it took about 10 years, 12 years, actually, 
to actually get into a, an L&D type role. And it was by accident. I had spent majority of my career on the sales side. And when I was in sales, I actually did some training for our clients. I taught them how to use our software. Uh, I taught them what our measures were and what how to build an analysis and how to work with different parts of the organization and grow sales within the CPG industry. So that kind of morphed into me getting more exposure on a training side. And I realized that maybe I could actually bring more value uh, being on the other side of that. So I moved into L&D and I did a lot of training for our clients on our software and our data. And then it just kind of, I moved up. Uh, I, I expanded and a lot of the qualities that I look for in hiring trainers, I had them innate. And so that's what helped me move forward. And at the end of my journey, it was, uh, I was leading global learning and development for the company that I work for. Now, you, so, you mentioned not, an acronym there, uh, CPG. Could you just expand what exactly is CPG? Of course, of course. Uh, CPG is consumer packaged goods industry. Basically, we're all exposed to CPG because we go grocery shopping or we go to Target and we shop. And that's essentially what um, that industry does. It's either providing the products, it's understanding the consumers or providing the data to understand or the location like a retailer. Now, you had said you had some of these innate talents and skills. Can you enumerate those for us? Sure. It was, I had a passion for learning. And I had an, a thirst for knowledge. And I wanted to see other people succeed. And I did that by taking my own experience and blending it into, you know, a typical learning plan. And what I ended up doing was resonating with my audience because I did their jobs. I was that salesperson. I was sitting in that meeting and I was asked a question where I didn't know the answer. And I knew that if I had just gone to that one training that I was supposed to go to, I might've been able to answer that question. And so it, it, it was those types of characteristics because I don't have an education background. My degree is not in education or adult learning. My degree is in market research and my experience was all in sales. So blending that all together, that helped me resonate with the audience that was going to be sitting in front of my classroom. Which brings me to an interesting question for you. When you were looking to hire people for the role of trainer as the executive responsible for that function, what traits, characteristics, and skills did you seek in applicants? Well, I went an untraditional route because just like I learned how to use a software, just like I learned how to understand the data and put a presentation together, that's trainable, that's teachable. But what is not trainable or teachable is your intention, your motivation, your passion. There's no class that I can teach you to be passionate about helping others. And so when I was interviewing candidates, yes, I was looking for those qualifications in terms of, you know, how much knowledge I have. Am I going to have to start from scratch um, if they're coming in at a director role? But I was really looking for why. Why do you want to be a trainer? Why do you want to be an L&D? And just like a teacher in a classroom in public schools, they do it because they want to 
make the world better. They have a love for the people that are in their classrooms and they know that they're doing something for the community. They know that they're doing something for the betterment of humanity. And, um, and so those are things that are very hard to teach. They're about feeling. So it really has to come from the heart. So one of my interview questions was always, why do you want to be in an L&D role? It's a thankless job sometimes. You know, we only hear about the negatives. Oh, the room was too cold or the class is boring. Uh, but we don't necessarily hear, you know, you changed my life or you helped me change the way that my clients perceived me. Uh, you helped me get a promotion. You know, we don't really hear those stories as often unless we actually seek them out. And so knowing that ahead of time, are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for being on the sidelines? Are you prepared for being behind the camera or behind the light and helping others shine. And so that's really what I look for when I'm looking for candidates. Which I think dovetails really nicely to the way most teachers view their jobs. If you're the elementary school teacher, you have the student for the school year and you often wonder what impact do you, did you have on them when they get to either higher education or their career. And it's always so rewarding when you do get a student to come back and tell you it was your class that set me on the path to a career or to an interest or a hobby or whatever it may be. Absolutely. You know, my third grade teacher, Mr. Tiemann, was a life changer for me. I, you know, that was the year I was in third grade and I had to get glasses. And I remember walking into the classroom, just scared and nervous, like, oh my God, I'm going to look so ugly with these big, thick glasses on. And, and my teacher ahead of time, before I even walked in, he knew that I was getting glasses and he made, he made me feel welcome. And my classroom bully, who was always making fun of me, he stood up and he said, Aspa, you look so pretty. That was my teacher. Yes. And, you know, I'll never forget him. And I'm a hundred years old now, but third grade, eight years old, just knowing that Mr. Tiemann did that for me, um, changed my life. And I can name five other teachers that did the same thing for me. So knowing that we have that kind of a bond with the people that are in our classrooms, I would say as a student, if someone, if a teacher changed your life, go back and thank them. And right. in the boardroom or in a corporate environment, if you have a trainer that taught you something that helped you excel in your career, just drop them a note and just say, hey, I remembered you and I thought of you when I was in this presentation. And I remember some of the things that you taught me on how to give a better presentation. It'll go a million miles. Absolutely, yes. To a certain extent, a teacher works autonomously, autonomously in their classroom with few opportunities to collaborate or coordinate with a team when compared with corporate jobs. How did you look to staff teams to, main, to maximize the contributions each member would make so that the whole was greater than the sum of the parts? Well, I think one of the most important things is collaboration. And the reason I say that is that when we are a trainer in, in any field, we have a deep expertise. We can't know everything. We usually know a lot, but we have a deep expertise. And my strengths may be your weaknesses. 
and vice versa. And so when we can collaborate, the two of us working together with your strengths and my strengths, um, imagine what we can do, what we can do in the classroom, what we can do outside of the classroom. And so collaboration to me is a really impactful way to pair people. Not only does it make the classroom a little bit more engaging because you've got more than one voice in there, but it also brings a different perspective. And that's where diversity plays a role. Uh, my background may be very different than your background. And so when we can blend those backgrounds together, we come in with completely different perspectives and we can resonate with more people. And I think the other, the other piece is inclusion. And so people want to grow. And that includes people in learning and development. And so when you think about where do their where does their career go? Um, when you are when you feel included, it means in that in that perspective or in that kind of like um, framing, it's more about I want to learn more because I already have that thirst for knowledge. And so when I started off in training, I was a software trainer. I taught people how to point and click. And that I knew was not where I really wanted to center my career. And so I had to branch out. And how did I branch out? People had to take, had to um, trust that I can actually do it. And so people had to give me an opportunity. And uh, I started working with other people and I learned from them. And I was able to kind of build my portfolio. And I went from doing software training all the way up, up to DEI type training, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or leadership development. So I was able to increase the, the level of knowledge that I have because I need to feed that thirst. But then on top of that, I was able to branch out and be and almost rebrand myself and think of myself as not a software trainer, but as a leadership de a leadership developer. Or at the end, it was you know a strategist where I could lead a global team. And I think that's an important component, the ability to constantly refresh our own skill sets, expand our knowledge, and continue to contribute not only to our own betterment, but those that we're also responsible for training. Absolutely. If you are enjoying this podcast broadcast and wish to connect with David Zahn to pursue your own journey into entrepreneurship, you can schedule a no-cost and no-obligation 20-minute chat-and-chew-with-you discussion at www.oknowwhat.biz, and that's spelled O-K-A-Y-N-O-W-W-H-A-T dot biz slash get-started dot HTML. And now back to our podcast. ASFA teachers are very familiar with the need to assess each student's initial performance, growth, and final outcomes through testing, observation, and other methods. How do companies accomplish that level of assessment and evaluation of their learners? Well, it's not that, that different. So yes, there's testing, you know, we might have a quiz at the end of an online training that will assess your knowledge retention for the moment, because we all know that, you know, you learn something and then if you don't actually practice it, then you at, end up forgetting a lot of it. 
So that's where observation, coaching, feedback comes in. And so it's not just about, it's not just about what did I learn yesterday or what did I learn in the morning? Because I might've already forgotten 50% of what I learned this morning, but, and I can memorize something so I can take that test and I can memorize it and I can get the 99 score and, oh, and then, but does that actually lead to anything? And so I think the added component when it comes to corporate is behavior change. So you put someone through a, a, a presentation training, presentation workshop, learn how to be a better presenter, learn how to be more compelling, learn how to be more engaging. They went through that workshop, it was two days. And then a week later, they have to give a client presentation. Did you see a change in their presentation style? Did they start to adopt some of the things that they learned in the class that they took last week? And they they will, you'll be able to see it. That's Those are the observations. I can actually feel that this is a more engaging presentation because of a couple of tweaks that Aspa made during her presentation. And so those are all components that I think help people understand, one, the value, because, you know, in corporate, putting on a two-day class can be kind of expensive. When you bring in a vendor, when you have travel, hotel, you know, all of that, that can make it into a fifty or $60,000 two-day event. You want to know that you're actually getting some value out of it. And so as an L&D leader, I have to constantly be thinking about how is this going to bring value to the organization? How is this going to help bring in revenue if there are a, a, a group of salespeople that are sitting in front of you? So I'm constantly trying to think of the ways that we can do that. There are traditional ways of getting feedback at the end of a class. So you have a survey, you survey monkey, they send out an email, you fill out the survey. The numbers are great. I mean, the numbers are important. So, you know, if you've got a five-point scale, I always strive for a 5.0 class. But I think the comments and the feedback, so the open-ended questions that are part of that survey are really, really important. And I committed to every workshop that I ever offered had an evaluation at the end of it. And my team and I would get together and we would read through all of the comments together. And then we would decide, what can we implement? And a lot of people would have a lot of really great ideas, but there are some things that we just can't do. You know, it might double my budget, which I don't think my CFO would, would approve. Um, but what are some things that we can actually implement? And what are some things that we could do for the next class or maybe think long-term or maybe do for the following year? But that feedback is really important. And not only is it important for us but it's important for the audience because we are we are supporting them. And it's great if we have really great ideas as L&D practitioners, but it won't really make any type of a behavior change or any type of um, an impact if it's not resonating with our audience. And so we have to really understand our audience, what they need, what their clients need so that we can support them. So that's why it's really important to be able to gather that type of feedback from employee or from employees or from audience members. 
I think you're hitting upon a really important point that in business, we are very rigidly uh, managed by having correct objectives. Why are we doing this? What do we expect to come of this particular training? And then you also hit upon the point of retention of the, the skill set and the knowledge. Whereas very often in the classroom, in a school-based setting, it's very focused on, do you know information? Can you provide it back when asked? In a corporate setting, you have to perform, you have to behave. And so you take your training and then perhaps weeks or months later, we can also see, are you still performing as you had been trained? Is there a need for remedial training or instruction because someone is has lost the skill set over time? They've reverted back to their original behaviors. So I absolutely concur with everything you've shared about the importance of setting up our training in a way that builds the business's goals and achieves the individual's objectives as well. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't like the word training. I think of it as the T word. Um, I like the word development because that to me is long-term. Training is short-term. It's you sat through a two-hour training. What did you learn? And then you go about your day and you don't really actually change anything. You just have more things in your head. And when I think about development, development is where you do have growth. That's where you do have behavior change. And that's where I can learn to do something differently, think about something differently, engage differently. And I feel like the word development implies more of an open-mindedness versus memorizing something for a few minutes so that I can pass that test and then move on. So to me, it's more about transformative and transformation. I like that T word better. Transformation <laughs> is much better T word. I uh, you know, I, I've had occasion to sit around over a dinner with other trainers, so-called trainers, and they'll say that the word training is for what you do with your pet dog, but for your employees, you develop them. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Tra training is more like the Pavlov Pavlovian response, whereas developing you integrate knowledge and skills so that performance improves. Exactly. And, you know, you brought up the P word and, you know, that is really what it's all about. It's about your performance mm -hmm. and it's about, you know, your development leads to greater performance. The more I know, the more I learn, the better I can perform at my job and the better I can uh, progress. That's another P word progress in my career. So we've been talking about the performance of the learner, of the person going through this, uh, this interaction, but how do you evaluate the performance of the trainer as the executive running that function? Well, you know, there's the standards, which are, you know, the ratings that they get for their classes. You know, we, uh, when I had trainers reporting into me, we would have part of their performance review would be the uh, quantitative, which is, you know, what, what rating did you get for your overall trainings? And that's all really great. But what feedback did you get? What impact did you make? And so what kind of behavior changes did you, did you see in the people that went through your workshops? And that means that we've got to go and talk to 
different managers or different leaders? Are you seeing a behavior change? You know, a, a lot of the times in a corporate setting, you might have a, a business leader come to you say, I want to implement a sales training because, you know, when you start talking to them, it turns out that, you know, we're not we're not making our revenue numbers the way that we have. Uh, our sales cycles are too long. And, you know, it could be a variety of different reasons. And so they're looking for a team workshop. So the entire team go through something together. And so you can then evaluate, you know, did they start making more progress in terms of shortening the, shortening the sales cycle? Uh, did they meet their revenue targets? You might even, and this is something that I used to do, I would go back and look at client satisfaction surveys. So it's a survey that the company would send out to their clients and we would then within HR be able to see what some of those comments were. So the ratings, you know, it's about our products, about their client service people. But the important piece was the feedback that our client service people received from our clients. And I read through every one of those comments. And the beauty of that was that they were words from our clients. And when I have feedback from our clients saying that they want more learning and development for the IRI or, you know, the client uh, or the, the company's um, employees, then I could say, guess what? I need extra budget because our clients are asking for it. And so that is a way for getting, you know, additional feedback. And it's also something that as the trainer, as the learning practitioner, we can use and say, this is what our employees need. And our employees need it, so therefore I need to actually know it too. And so there's there's the, the evaluation of the trainer, but then there's also the development of the trainer. And so you've gotta be able to mesh the two together. Someone with deep expertise is going to get really great ratings when they do that new hire training or when they do that sales training. They know it. They live it and they breathe it. They're experts in their field. They're constantly trying to make their, their workshops more engaging. They will have you know more interaction, more discussion. Uh, they'll take that feedback and they'll apply it and they'll constantly be improving. You know, One of the things that we did was that we made sure that no two trainings were alike. And the reason was, is because we wanted to make sure that we were constantly meeting the needs of our audience. And so you have to take that a step back and say, well, a, a trainer, a learning practitioner needs to have the same mentality is that I'm going to take that feedback. And you know what? Maybe I was having an off day. That's a one-off situation. Or maybe I can engage with my audience a little bit better. Maybe my stories are getting a little old. Maybe I need to go back and spend some more time with the people in the field. When I'm visiting Dallas, I can go down and visit some of the teams that are down there and I can learn about what are some of their situations and take those and turn it into role plays or turn that into discussion questions during my training so that I'm constantly refreshing. And so when you've got that kind of attitude, that's also something that I would evaluate. Are you saying, well, this is the training and this is how I've always done it and I've always gotten great scores so I don't need to change anything? Or are you saying, I've always gotten great scores and I want to continue to strive to get even better scores? So attitude is also another thing on top of the ratings and the feedback that they receive. 
So having said that, what is the potential career path for a trainer for their own advancement? You know, to me, the world is their oyster. If you have L&D in your background, even if it's just a software trainer, there is, um, this is where bias can actually play in your favor. Uh, if you're a trainer, that means that you know a lot. If you're a trainer, that means you're an expert. Totally. And I want to build on that. And so if you've got L&D in your background, on your resume, that means that you have an attitude and a passion for learning and that you are growth-minded. You, you have a growth mindset and you want to help others. So that says a lot about you right then and there before they even have a conversation with you. And then when you think about your level of expertise, let's say you are a phenomenal sales trainer. Um, I would love to have someone like that on my sales team because not only can they help others, but they're going to do a really great job with our clients. So that's an opportunity. You can move into, uh, you can move vertically. Moving vertically, meaning you go from being a software trainer or a sales trainer with one, you know, kind of one deep level of expertise in a topic, and you can morph that into additional areas. You can go from training on software to the data and the analytics that go along with it. And then you can build on top of that presentation skills. And from there, you can go to executive presence. And from there, you can go to leadership development. So there's a whole vertical that you can go up and down in terms of the L&D world. And then if you've got software as your expertise, hello, move into IT. You know, so there's a lot of opportunities for people. Um, uh, I wouldn't call, I would not call L&D as kind of like the springboard, although it is. Getting into L&D would be a little bit more difficult because as uh, someone who is a hiring manager, even though you might have the right attitude, and we talked about this before, the right motivation, you still have to have that potential and capability for learning and delivering, that executive presence, that being able to stand up in front of an audience and keep them engaged and have the confidence uh, that you need to be someone who is known as the expert. So you have to have a little bit, well, actually a lot of knowledge behind that facade. This has been tremendously illuminating, and you've shared so many great insights. We could go on forever on this topic. However, if people wanted to learn more about you and from you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, I would say the best way to contact me is on LinkedIn, and uh, you'll probably have my name in there, but it's just Asfa Malik, and you can go and search for me. I'm in there. And my website, growthmindedconsulting.net. And if you notice, Growth Minded is the name of my company. And it's mainly because that is that is the way that I kind of operate in this world. I'm constantly striving to be more than I was before. And that's essentially what my business is all about, is helping you be more. Asfa, I have so appreciated you spending some time with us, and I very much look forward to having many of these listeners contacting you and learning more about your own journey and all that you have shared with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to From Learning to Earning, hosted by David Zahn. 
the teacher's business mentor. If you have not already done so, please register to join the Facebook group Business Launch from Fear to Fabulous, where you can find additional information and participate in a community of like-minded people venturing into business ownership. And if you are ready to receive one-on-one -on -one coaching or enroll in a self-paced course to make your dream business a reality, you can contact David Zahn at www.oknowwhat.biz backslash get-started.html. And as always, we want to hear from you about topics you would like to have covered or your feedback on this or other episodes. Drop us an email with your thoughts at David Zahn, D-A-V-I-D-Z-A-H-N at OKNowWhat.biz. And don't forget to invite your friends to listen to this or any of our other episodes and join our podcast community.